thankful. I am excited to share some time in God's Word this morning with you. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want uh, to be turning there in your Bibles, it'll also be up here on the screen, but uh, you may want to follow along in your, on your phone or in your own Bible. Um, and I want to just, again, thank <clears throat> Stillwaters for being with us. I also want to begin, I mentioned this in the welcome, but I wanted to take just a minute before the sermon, and I want to acknowledge again and pray for specifically uh, for Ukraine and its people and the situation there that is serious and in, certainly in need of our prayers. You know, the reality in times like these when you see stuff going on in other parts of the world is that you don't always know what to do. Uh, we hope to have some ways that maybe we can be a part of that in the, in the coming days, but we know that we can pray and that that should be our first response. And so <clears throat> it isn't a time to blame or to join people in predicting the end of the world, which you've probably seen. Uh, just as a side note, if you believe in Jesus, that's a waste of time because he said only the Father knows when he's going to come back. Uh, he doesn't even know. So, But it is a time to pray, and it's always a time to be the body of Christ in the world. And, you know, prayer is interesting. Prayer operates, think about what you know about prayer. Prayer operates on the assumption that God can act on behalf of, of the people of the world that God loves. We believe that God can act on behalf of the people of the world that God loves, even though sometimes what, what we experience in our lives is that we question how this happens. How does it happen when I pray and God works? And sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer that I pray. And, and we question that. We accept how that works. We wrestle with that in our daily lives, and all of that should happen. Uh, and that's a conversation for another time. But ultimately, our faith leads us to assume that God's love and wisdom are infinitely deeper than ours. And so to that end, in, in the face of an unjust invasion of Ukraine by a Russian tyrant, I want us to pray this prayer together this morning as we begin. And I'm going to say the words. There's going to be two slides in white. I want us to say the words in yellow together, and then I'll pray uh, for our time in Scripture before we start the sermon. God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's continue that prayer before our sermon. Father, we ask this morning that as we open your word together that you will guide our hearts and our thoughts, that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see as we think about the words that were written long ago that still have so much relevance and importance to us today. We pray that you'll open our hearts uh, to be receptive to receiving the words that we hear from you and to live into them as your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're currently walking through the book of First Peter in a series that we're calling Different, and today... We're going to cover a really large section of Scripture, um, more than we'll cover on any other week. And the reason we're going to cover more today than we're going to cover any other week is because all the stuff that we're going to cover, cover today goes together. It, it's important that you read it together and that it's thought about in context together. Uh, we're going to pick up in 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, but I want to first give you a reminder because, again, you have to remember we're kind of studying this. We can't study everything all in one week, so we're studying it in chunks, right? And every, there's a lot of stuff that Peter says today that, he, you know, that he's talked, he talks about some stuff last week that informs what he's going to talk about today. And so just a quick kind of reminder, last week we talked about identity, and, and, I, and I said as we looked at earlier parts of 1 Peter chapter 2, this was kind of the summary. You are a temple, Peter says, and you are a priest individually, and together you are a priesthood. At one time, the, the significance of being a temple is that at one time, I mentioned that there was, the temple was in one location, in one place in Jerusalem. It was stationary. It didn't move. And it was the place where God's presence was and the place where you went to meet God. But now, because of Jesus, Peter says, you are that place. You are the place that carries God's presence into the world. And not only are you that place, a temple, but you are also priests, right? And in the Old Testament, a group of people, a special group of people, a certain group of people were priests. But now it's no longer one specific group of people it's who have that responsibility to carry God into the world. Now God's love being carried into the world happens because you are carrying that love. You have a responsibility that we all share together. So another way to think about that is that people experience God, next slide, through you, right? That, that, that's, that's part of what happens. If you're a temple and you're a priest, it means that you're a carrier of God's message, a carrier of God's presence wherever you go, and that people encounter, they access God through you because they've experienced you. And this is who you are in Christ, is what I talked about last week. This is your identity. And it's these ideas I summar, I'm summarizing this morning because it's these ideas that Peter is going to continue to build on as we look at the next set of verses together today. And he starts this section focusing on how we live within our society. Listen to these words. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, you, you, can, you guys can leave that up there for a minute because we're going to talk extensively about these two verses for a minute before we move on. So right here at the beginning of this section, in verse 11, he, he again returns to this overall theme that you've heard me mention multiple times already in this series, living as foreigners, living as exiles, living as strangers, living as aliens, some translations might say, in this world. And the way that I've summarized that in previous weeks is to say, you live here, but you're not from here, right? That we are a part of this world, but we're not from this world. We are a part of this country, but we're actually citizens of a kingdom that God has come to establish. And he's writing to people that live, so keep that in mind, but also know that he's writing to a group of people that live in a culture where the dominant idea, this is really relevant for us, a dominant idea in Roman culture is it is good for you to gratify every desire you have. If only the Bible was relevant for 2022. If you want to do it, do it. If it feels good, do it. Right? This was the dominant idea in the Roman world at the time. And Peter says that part of being a temple, part of being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that is not like the nation that you actually live in, is not doing everything that you want to do. Is not doing everything that just because it feels good. 
Because while it may feel good in the moment, Peter says, you know what it actually does? It wages war on your soul. That's an interesting way to say it, don't you think? It wages war on your soul. When we give in to every desire that we have without any discernment, right? Is this right? Is this good? Is this necessary? That's discernment. Asking questions like that. It is like, Peter says, an invasion that is happening in your soul that is not all that unlike a war. And what God ultimately wants for us is to live in peace. He wants us to have peace in our souls. And what we know about war is that where there is war, there is a lack of peace. Right? And it's important that I note here that God is great with desire. Right? You understand this. God is not anti-desire. Sometimes people falsely think God doesn't want us to enjoy anything about life. That, that's not true. The issue is when desire becomes our focus, when desire becomes our Lord, when desire sits on the throne of our lives, when desire isn't expressed in appropriate ways, when we just do what we want without any regard for anybody else. And the reason we need this word, again, is because it causes us, or it should cause us to reflect on our own lives. How are we different? Are we different? Have you ever noticed with when you think about people that you don't know, you tend to watch strangers more closely. Like if there's someone that you don't know that seems curious to you or maybe suspicious, they do something that makes you just have a fleeting question about them, you watch them closely. And Peter is asking here, are we aware of the fact that people are watching us? And how does this cause us to reflect at all on our choices and how our choices impact other people, how they impact our witness and our ability to represent God, last week's topic, to the people that we encounter. Again, think about what verse 12 says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So much that we of what we do in, in our day, in our age, in our lives is, is normal to us. So, so much so that you may not even think about it. But in this, in this day, Christianity is a new thing. You have to remember that Christianity is a new idea when Peter is writing this letter. So when Christians would refer to things like, refer to one another as like brother and sister, Right? Or they would refer to what we just did in sharing communion, communion, the body and the blood of Christ. When they would talk about eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ, it's normal to us to think about each other as brother or sister, even though we're not actually brother and sister. It's normal to us to talk about eating the body and the blood of Christ, even though we're not actually eating the body and the blood of Christ. But to an, a, a culture that's not familiar with Christianity, that is weird, right? It's strange, it seems foreign. And they would be accused, Christians in this day, in the, in the first century, would be accused when they refer to each other as brother and sister of things like incest. When they talked about eating the body and the blood of Christ, they would be accused of cannibalism. And, and if it wasn't those kinds of accusations, 
It was just other kinds of general social pressure, right? Just stop being different. Do what everybody else is doing. Stay in line with what Rome is wanting us to do. And so Peter's response to this is really interesting. Look at what Peter says. He says, keep being different. Not less holiness, more holiness. Yes, you'll be noticed, but it's okay. And one day, whether in this life or the life to come, when people see, people will eventually see that you didn't buckle under pressure, that you endured, they'll be, they'll, the only option they'll have left is to glorify God and admit that the, de- the way you lived was right. But living a good life, right, this is what it means to, to live a good life among people who don't believe, which is what the, the word pagan means. But living a good life isn't just something that will get people's attention later. It will also get the attention of people now. And one way that Peter talks about that you can live a good life is through your relationships, which is what Peter's going to switch and talk about next. And now there's a lot that he's going to talk about, and there's a lot to cover, and I cannot cover it all today. But as I said earlier, it's important that we look at the next set of verses together because they all go together. But in the next 20 plus verses or so, from 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 3, 7, he's going to focus on three different kinds of relationships and how we live good lives among people who don't follow Christ, how we live good lives in the world that we live in, in specifically in three relationships. And those relationships become part of our witness as foreigners and as exiles and strangers. These are the relationships he's going to talk about how we are as citizens in in relation to our government, slaves and masters, and then wives and husbands. Now, we're not going to read the entire section that I just referenced from 1 Peter 2, 13 through 3, 7 because of time. I encourage you to go read it. I want to have a conversation with you if if it's confusing. If I don't, I'm going to attempt to try to make things clear by the end of this sermon. If I don't or if I make things more confusing, let's talk after or later this week. Um, the, the reality is some of the stuff that he's, that he's going to write you know, might be challenging, might even cause questions for some people. But I want, I want you to remember, again, before we look at some of these, these verses, we are going to look at some of them. We're just not going to read it in, 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 uh, in its entirety. I want you to remember what we just talked about. Peter's primary focus is, is helping Christians live for Jesus in a world that is not interested in Jesus and is in some cases unaware of Jesus. They don't, they don't know Jesus. They don't know what it would mean to follow Jesus and how following Jesus would impact somebody's life. And, and so he again focuses on these three relationships. And he, he's going to give us practical, really practical way to think about living different. But I need to prepare you. His advice is not what you might expect. He uses a word three times in the next several set, set of verses that you don't like. You don't like this word, and that word, are you ready, is submit. That's the word he uses over and over and over again, submit or submission. Submission? Me? Never is how we think. And if you need an example, just look at the last two years when people were asked to do something that they didn't want to do, right? Regardless of where you fall on your opinions about anything like that, we don't like to do what other people tell us to do. We want to do what we want to do. 
Submission means to willingly place yourself under another person. I told you, you don't like it, and I don't like it. But I want to read through the three places that he uses this word, and then I want to talk about them. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. First of all, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 1 Peter 2, 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. An incredibly hard word. And then finally, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and verse 7, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Husbands, next slide, husbands in the same way, he doesn't use the word submit, but it's, it, it, he's, it's implied with the, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So what is going on here? What is he saying? And why does he speak? It's interesting, and I hope to explain how, why he speaks to these specific groups of people and not to other groups that he might have spoken to. He doesn't mention kids, right? He doesn't, he doesn't really talk to the master as much as he does to the slave. So why these groups of people and not others? All good questions. I'm glad you asked. Let's start with the first one. Submit yourselves to human authority, to emperors, to governors, etc. First thing to remember, again, is that he's writing to Christians that are scattered all over the Roman Empire. Okay? It's really important. And they are wrestling with the question, how are we to relate to this terrible emperor? He doesn't care about us, he isn't interested in us, and he certainly does not represent us. They don't like him, but he is the emperor, and he is, in a, he is a person in a position of authority, which causes us to, it's a great question to ask, isn't it? Regardless of which political leader you haven't liked in the last few years, how are you to relate to a political leader that you don't like? I sh I've shared this before, but it's, it's not in my notes. I'm going to go off for just a second and share this. In, our, in, my, in, my, in a previous church experience that I was in during the transition from President Bush being president to President Obama being president, I made an interesting observation. Almost every week, the church that I was in at the time prayed for the president when President Bush was president. And almost like clockwork, like just night and day, like a light switch had been turned off. When President Obama became president, the prayers for the president stopped. Now, how in the world is that? What does it communicate? We're going to pray for the people we like. We're going to pray, not pray for the people we don't like, right? If only the Bible could be a little more relevant to 2022. How are we to relate to, to the government is the question that these Christians are wrestling with. What are we supposed, and what's our relationship as citizens in the kingdom of God and also citizens of Rome who are not really Roman citizens, we're Jews and we're trying to figure all this out. The next relationship he mentions is a relationship between slaves and masters. He speaks directly to slaves and then he speaks to wives 
And then he, at the very end, he speaks to husbands. What's going on with those? Again, remember, context of this society. Context is so important. If you haven't heard me say that before, when, we are, when you're reading the Bible, it is everything when you're reading the Bible. This culture is not interested in God. These people are, but the culture they live in is not. They're not aware of God in many cases. So the fact that this Christian group keeps reproducing, more people keep becoming Christians, is troubling to Rome. And one of the things about this passage that has challenged people in the past, it's challenged me, quite honestly, is that people have been bothered because they don't feel like slavery is directly challenged in the Bible by Peter or by Paul. But the reality is, as I have continued to study this, I actually think in a subversive way, it is challenged. And here's what I mean. In this culture, context is everything, as I've said. Slaves and women were considered second-class citizens. They didn't have rights like men. They didn't have full rights. Sometimes this actually meant, just as an example, one example, a slave or a wife had to worship whatever god or deity that their master or husband worshipped, that's the god that they worshipped. They didn't have a choice or a voice in that decision. But, this is so important, the church that Peter's writing to, Christians scattered all over, is full of slaves and women. Why? Because in the church, slaves and women were considered equal. This is one of the revolutionary ideas of Jesus. Whether you're a slave or free, a man or woman, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, wasn't what mattered in the church. What mattered is that you are now in Christ. Look at how Paul says it in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There, because of that, there is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not taking a what you're still a man and a woman. What he's saying is that as you think about your relationships now in the church, everybody is on equal ground in the church. And the fact that Peter would even address slaves and women in his letter, specifically addressing them, is further evidence, is support for, it's exhibit A of what that he sees them this way, that he believes Paul when Paul wrote that in Galatians 3. He sees them as equal. And if he didn't see them as equal, he wouldn't specifically call them out in his letter. You wouldn't even have taken the time to address them if you didn't think of them as important enough to address. How attractive do you think Jesus would be to those on the lower end of society, slaves, to women that didn't have a voice? How attractive would the gospel of Christ be for them to learn, what, I have, I have, I have value? I have worth? I'm in, right? Incredibly attractive. These groups of people and others that would come to learn about Jesus, they would learn that the status ranking systems that exist in society still to this day don't exist in the church. But here's the issue. This was the issue that Peter is writing, right? What, this is where the word submit comes into play. Rumors were circulating that those who followed Jesus were actually tearing apart the culture. 
It seems odd to us to think about that way because we've been in a country for so many years where Christianity has been such a part of it, and we've spent time, people have spent time talking about how it can help create a culture. But the reality is in this day, again, context is so important. Jesus is a new idea. Christianity, follow this. What Christians, who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they, they're so odd and strange. What are the, this, the way that they're talking about eating the body and blood of Christ and brother and sister? What, what is all this? One of the reasons they're changing our way of life, right? They're introducing new ideas into our culture. And one of the, re, one of the ways that this rumor was started was because Christians claimed that Jesus is Lord. You've heard me talk about this before. The problem with claiming Jesus is Lord is that Caesar also claimed that he was Lord. And people, he wanted people to say, Caesar is Lord. So you can imagine why it would be a problem that if Jesus is Lord for Christians, it means Caesar is not Lord. You can only have one Lord. And if Caesar is not Lord, then Rome began to wonder. Rumors began to circulate. And they began to worry, what if Christians don't do what Caesar asks? What if they rebel and start a revolution? If Jesus is Lord, maybe it means they won't take care of their jobs. They'll go on strike. They'll protest their masters. They won't take care of their wives. They won't stay with their husbands. They won't take care of their children. It's a slippery slope, you can hear Caesar saying. If we start letting these Christians get, get away of, with whatever they want and claiming Jesus is Lord, who knows what will happen next? These are the kind of rumors that were swirling around. And it's with that environment in mind, that Peter writes to these Christians that are living in the Roman Empire, scattered all over it. And what Peter does actually is brilliant, in my opinion, because he is able to do this. He's able to both uphold and subvert the social order. Think about it. He gives Christians that are now citizens of the kingdom of God, but are also they're living in Rome, a new way to think about their place in the Roman Empire. He says, hey, it's okay to submit to human authority, even if, it's even if it's really bad human authority. God is the one to be revered. But give proper honor to people that are in positions of human authority. That's fine. Now, notice he doesn't say that rulers are always right. He doesn't say that power shouldn't be challenged when it's abused. It doesn't mean we don't speak up when things are wrong. We do. And Christians then did. And they kept proclaiming Jesus is Lord, even though it was offensive to Caesar, and many of them died because of it. And Christianity didn't shrink or shrivel up or go away, did it? It exploded. It was the most attractive thing because people began to see these people are serious about this Jesus guy. They'll die for him if that's what it takes. And Peter says all of this, again, about a Roman emperor that was a terrible person. You can research this on your own. As terrible as you might ever think that any elected official that you don't like is, Nero was worse, who, was what, who the Roman emperor was at this time when this was written. Just do some research about Nero. He was a terrible human being. Unbelievable. Which means, I think, that Peter and Paul, who says something similar in Romans, have a really high view of God. That they believe, and because they believe it, they're my brothers, and I'm going to believe it too. That God can somehow work, even through bad leadership. Whoever you like, 
God can work through them. Whoever you don't like, God can work through them. He continues to slaves. He says, you have a choice. And slavery is not what we picture, by the way. This is a very indentured servant. Think of it like that. It's different. But he says, stay with your masters. Work hard. Serve. Do the thing that they, you've, you're now following Christ. You have equal status in the kingdom of God. But do the thing that they're not expecting that you're going to do and surprise them. And to women, Peter says, you have a voice, right? You might have been viewed in society as less than, but you have a voice, which means you also have a responsibility. Many of these women had come to faith in Jesus before their husbands, which he kind of alludes to. So Peter said, what, what Peter is saying is continue in your faith. You now have freedom in Christ, but don't let that freedom you have in Christ to somehow cause you to, to feel superior to your husband. Instead, instead, behave toward your husband like Christ. Which is what he continues on. And I didn't even, I'm not even going to read this part. But in, in verse 21, he says, but I'm not going to be on the slides, rather. But to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Right? Which way is more likely for an unbelieving husband to come to faith in Jesus? A spouse that is less engaged because they decided to follow Jesus or a spouse that is more engaged because they decide to follow Jesus? It's the same example that I used about society looking at these Christians and they're like, man, they're willing to die for this guy. But unbelieving husband sees his wife doing what she can to continue to stay engaged with the marriage, even though their, their beliefs might be different now because he doesn't follow Christ. The potential, Peter says, is there for it to be a deeper impact. And to husbands, he, he actually raises the bar as well. He says, treat them with respect, with care. He uses this word weaker, which has been problematic for some people. He's just literally saying that women are often, I mean, some of y'all, some of your wives can beat you up, but the rea- that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, but, but the reality is that most of the time, women are physically weaker. This is why they ask you to open the jar that they can't open, right? Like, the that's what, that's what he's saying. But he says, still treat him with respect, with care. And in every case, in every case, submission is guided by Peter's phrase, for the Lord's sake. Look again in these verses really quickly. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master. Wives and husbands, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, wives, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Christians are called to give up striving for power and authority over other human beings and instead pursue the good of others. And Peter says our model is Christ and our focus is not the nation that we live in. Our focus is God's kingdom. We make decisions in our relationships based on God's kingdom. And God's kingdom has different values and priorities than the societies that we, the society we live in and the society that they lived in. We do good to people, Peter says, regardless of what we get in return. And Peter says that by doing good, we will silence anyone that might criticize Jesus. Eventually, they'll have to admit, man... These Christians are serious about their faith. Just look at how it impacts their lives. 
last thing I want to share. A couple of days ago, as the fighting in Ukraine started, I saw a picture that I, I just couldn't get out of my head. It's not a great picture, but I, I, I felt like it was a, a good image for what we're talking about, about this idea of good, doing good, doing good regardless of what we get in return. This is a wounded Russian soldier being carried into a Ukrainian hospital. This is not a unique thing in war necessarily. Many times it happens in war where prisoners of war are treated. But it just struck me as a helpful image for what submitting looks like, for what doing good looks like, right? These people may or may not even be Christians. I don't even know. Though there are many Christians in Ukraine. But this idea came from Jesus Christ. This doesn't happen in our world if Jesus doesn't come to earth. And show people what it's like to submit. Jesus, Peter says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In Luke 6.35, Jesus, using the same words that Peter says, he says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. And my encouragement to you as citizens of the kingdom of God is that we will live our lives like Christ, doing good, submitting to one another and to whatever authority we are under, giving our lives away just as Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that your word still is relevant and powerful and able to speak and teach and instruct us on how we are to live in this world. We acknowledge and admit we don't really like to submit to people or to authority. We like to be our own people. We like to do what we want to do. We like to go where we want to go. We want to do it when we want to do it. And we don't always want to be told about how we should do it or shouldn't do it. And this is true in almost every relationship that we have, God. And so we ask this morning that you will by your Spirit's power will work in our hearts to draw us to this place where we can live into these words that Peter is laying before us this morning, calling us to a deeper place in our journey with you. That we'll live our lives in such a way, God, that people will notice and they'll say, my goodness, how serious those people are about Jesus that they follow. And they will want to know why we do what we do, and that we'll be able to tell them it's because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and that his ways are better than any other ways, that living a life of faith is more fulfilling and meaningful and hope-filled than any other path that we might walk in this life or in the life to come. We ask, God, that you'll give us courage, give us strength and the ability to to live into what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be. We pray again that you'll give us hearts that are willing to receive uh, this word from Peter today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?
We're going to sing this next song and invite you to do that. If you have prayer needs, we want to let you let us know those. Please do that at this time as well. Let's sing together.